Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Talk, so last week we launched the book, okay, Revival Reign, which was very exciting and what an amazing moment, I think, for us as a, as a church. It was really um, a celebration of so many things and I really feel like the, wor- the, the book is a prophetic word for the church at large. So I'm going to be meeting with pastors all around our city, um, not only in our city, but in the Every Nation family and Cape Town and Potchefstroom and Joburg and everywhere. And the idea is we want to put this book in, into church's hands so that they can start asking for rain. Why? Because we really believe it's the time of the latter rain. We believe it's time for God to come and do an end time move, a revival in the church uh, so that we can see a harvest for Jesus in the nations. And so in this book, I've really, you know, it's a prophetic declaration out there. I feel like it's the word of the Lord to the church and to the cities globally around the world. But also, you know, the book is a, is a, is a teaching on revival as well. The idea was that, you know, the, this word revival has been used so many times and in so many ways that we've lost what actually a revival is. And so the book is there to kind of protect the integrity of the word revival. And also, I'm hoping that as you read through the pages that you're going to get an understanding of what revival is. And that when you start to get understanding and we start to get understanding, then we can start to pray with understanding and we can start to see God move. It's so important that we know what we're asking for. Amen? Uh, It's so important that we're clear about what a revival is and what exactly are we expecting and what are we wanting God to do and that we have that understanding. And so that's that's the book as well. And just a reminder that there are audios as well. Um, which are online, free of charge. You can go to the website, 40daysofprayingforrevival.com, and you can put your email address in there, and then every day for 40 days, you will get the devotion for that day um, in audio format. So if you miss reading it in the morning, you can listen to it on the way to work. Uh, But yeah, just want to encourage all of us to grab the book. It's only 50 bucks for Every Nation Durbanites. Isn't that cool? Like 50 bucks, everybody else, they're going to pay more. We're going to pay 50, amen? <laughs> and um, yeah, so it, there should be more. We sold out last week. There should be more available today. Before I get into the Word, I want to talk about the church coming alive today. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to just share a quick testimony, something like really amazing that happened recently. So there is this prophetic word over Durban that revival will be birthed in Durban. So there's this like continual prophecy over our city that we are a birthing place, that we are Natal. Natal means birthing. And if you look at the harbor from a, like a satellite view, it's a natural harbor, but it looks like it's in the shape of a womb, actually, when you look at it. And so we, and it's amazing how, you know, from, this is the busiest, biggest port in Africa from here to the nations. There's this flow of natural cargo, but there's this prophecy of a Durban that from here to the nations, there's going to be a spiritual flow as well, that there's going to be a revival or something birthed in this land that will be taken globally to everywhere, to everywhere else. 
And、uh, it's amazing how we've been seeing like people from other nations, like Australia and stuff, come to our city who don't know anything about our city and start to release the same words over Durban. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> you know, we got to listen to the prophetic when it's happening, and we got to hear what God is saying. So these words are coming, and one word that's been over Durban for forty plus years, forty again, significant. Is that a revival will be birthed in Durban that will spread to Cape Town, burn through Africa into Europe, and go to the rest of the world? That's been a, a, a prophetic word over Durban. And there was this couple that we met just recently, and we were talking to them, and we hadn't met them before. We got introduced by a friend, and we had lunch together, and we were like, "Hey, so what's your story?" And their story is they're in the Upper Highway area. They're With a church up there, and they said, "You know what? During lockdown, we felt like God told us to start carrying a message of revival." We were like, "Oh, really? That's interesting." Because we felt something very similar. So during lockdown, they said, "Yes, we started to believe and trust God for revival and start to prepare the church for revival." And in in that, they heard about that prophetic word over Durban, but until then, they did not know who said that prophetic word. It's important that we know who said it and in what context it was. So they started seeking and asking many people around the city, some of the fathers around our city, some of the prophets around our city, saying, "Who said that? When did they say it? When did they actually prophesy that over Durban?" And nobody knew the answer. So they just prayed about it and they said, "Lord, you know what? You will do what you will do." And then they got invited to a conference in Cape Town that was happening last year, and.、Um, And they thought, great, let's let's go to this conference in Cape Town. And then they heard that there was going to be another church from Switzerland that was coming to join the conference. So they thought, oh, that's interesting. Durban to Cape Town, from Cape Town to Europe, sounds like the prophetic word. Let's just go. So they went, and that was the week that it was the hottest week ever recorded in the history of Cape Town. I mean, it was Cape Town was on fire that week. That was actually the weekend that Parliament was even set on fire. And not only that, it was the week of the greatest swells recorded in many, many, many years that actually hit the shores of Cape Town as well. So all every all the prophets were like awake. Something's happening here. Hot, you know. There's fire and there's waves that are smashing the shoreline that have been bigger than ever before. And in that, a ship that had sunk called the Antipolis、uh, below the twelve apostles. Got washed up on the on the on the shores again during those swells. So a ship that had sunk 40 years something ago got washed up below the 12 apostles, and、uh, and anyway, and then they go into this conference. So all the stuff's happening, and they're in the conference, and they、um, they were sharing that they heard a word, but they didn't know where it came from when they were preaching. They they heard a word about Durban. Birthing a revival that will go to Cape Town and spread through Africa and go to Europe and the rest of the world, but they weren't really sure where the word came from. Somebody in the audience put up their hand and said, "I know where that word comes from." She was a lady who didn't know anything about the conference. Her business was actually across the street, and she saw stuff happening. So she decided. Let me go see what's happening there.、It、looks amazing. So she went there. She got radically touched by the Holy Spirit. And when they got up and started speaking,、um, she knew the answer. And she said she came forward. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was touching her. And she said, "It happened." I'm, I'm actually. She wasn't a South African. She said, "I'm from Switzerland." And、um, that word was given 40 years ago by John Wimber 
when the world didn't really know who John Wimber was, in, in a church in Switzerland, and I was there when that word was given. Uh, so like a testimony, like a, she was there. And then all the Swiss people who were actually in the conference said, that's amazing. What city did it happen in? She said, Bern. And they said, that's amazing. That's our city. What church did it happen in? And she named the very church that they're from. So, um, so, you know, all of that just to say, like, we have to be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We've got to be a prophetic people. You know, I really believe that we, some people despise prophecies. They say, oh, I've heard about revival for years. I've heard, you know, this, so many people said this and so many people said that about Durban. Like, where is it? Where is it? You know, where is it? We, mu we must never be people who despise the prophetic. We must be people who hear it and weigh it up and judge it and against the scriptures, against what God is saying. And we must be aware of it and know the seasons. All right, like Jesus was saying to the people that he was preaching, like you, you, you look at the weather like you're experts in the weather, but you cannot see the season for the Son of God is here. You know, and, and they were missing what God was doing in their time. Um, they were experts in other seasons, you know, but not in the seasons of God. And it's possible that we can be like that too, that we can miss what God is saying for the now. And I really believe that God looks for a people who are responsive. He looks for a people who take seriously what His Word is and start to bend and shape their lives according to what He has said and what He has spoken. And um, because I really be believe that the promises of God and the wills of God are dependent on the people of God owning them. You know, you can have a hundred prophecies over your life, but they will not happen unless you own them, unless you believe them unless you start to put faith in them and say, this is the word of the Lord for my life, and you actually start to obey and step out and see what God will do. So, you know, you can have words of your life. You're going to be an author. You're going to write books. I see you writing books. Unless you actually, Wayne, go sit and write. It's not, you know what I mean? And then, you know what? When it comes in your hands, you feel destiny. Listen, when that book arrived, it felt good. But I want you to know, I've been receiving for years prophecies. And you know, so there can be years of prophecies over our city, but it's looking for a people who will own them, a people who will say, yes, this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to own it, and I'm going to start to bend my life and align my life in that direction. And so I want to just say that that's what we're doing as a church. That's what we're doing as a church. And if it takes one year or two or 20, listen, this is it. All right, we, we pray until, all right, and we're in for the long run because we want to see God's plan for our city. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So the church coming alive, when in the book I talk about revival being God coming near, the church coming alive, and the lost coming to Christ. And the reason why I gave it that like simple definition is because I feel like, you know, we need to understand what is revival. We need to actually know what is this thing. It's God coming near. We're talking about the manifest presence of God coming near. It's the church literally coming alive into its purpose, into its destiny, what the church is called to be. And it's the last coming to Christ even before a sermon is preached. I'm talking about people in their homes, like in the Welsh revival, you could walk down the streets and hear people in their homes repenting and crying. You know, it was, it was revival had come to Wales. So this morning, I want to just focus on that part of the church coming alive. 
and I want to talk about that for a moment. So, um, I'm sure, like you all know that when, when we talk about coming alive, like there is the, there is something was dead, and then it comes to life again. Like there was nothing, there was no life, and then there was a life that came. And that's pretty much what we are like when we get saved. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins, and then we come alive to Christ. All right, there's a death. That what we see in baptism this morning is symbolically I've died to my old life and I've come anew to, to Christ. I'm living a new life. But there's also a different type of coming alive. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. Many years ago, 20 years exactly, actually, ago, I was a young man, unmarried, hadn't met Trish yet, and I was working in the business world, and I was pursuing business. I was pursuing a, what I felt like, this is, this is me. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going for this thing. This is what I need to do with my life. And actually, I wasn't really sure about my life and my calling and where I was. I was still trying to figure it all out. And I was getting things, and I had scriptures, and I had prophetic words, but I was young, and I had recently recommitted my life to Christ, and I was just going all out for Christ. And then one day, my pastor at the time phoned me and said, hey, Wayne, could you lecture at Bible school in a Mamzentoti this Tuesday evening coming? And I think it was like Friday that he phoned me. You know that time when you just wish the ground would open and you'd, <laughs> you'd just disappear? I was like what? Lecture people, like real live people, you know, like, and Bible school, like I haven't even finished Bible school yet, and you're asking me now to lecture it to people. Um, but something inside of me was like, just go for it. I was terrified, like, and that was the worst weekend of my life. Like, honestly, like I was just like prepping and trying to learn these notes and trying to remember like when I went through that lecture and what I, you know, and how the person had delivered it for then. And I was like, you know, highlights and underlining and Bible references and, you know, you just, and praying, oh, Jesus, you got to help me. Anyway, I go and I, and I, and I, and I do it. All right. I'm like, I'm shaking, I'm quivering. It's like, it's a terrifying experience. But, um, Afterwards, my, my friend, I went to my friend's house, and he was like, how was it? And I said to him these words. I said, I think I want to do that for the rest of my life. I can't tell you how I felt in that moment when I stood before that class. I was so terrified, but I knew this is what I was made for. I knew that I had found something. I knew that there was like a click. Like, you know, when you take a fish out of water, and it's like it's just limping and it's, it's alive still but then you drop it back in the water and its tail kicks in and like water goes through its gills and it just comes alive again I came alive to my purpose to my identity to my calling to what God had originally in his mind when he thought about making this person called Wayne and I had found the grace of God. And from that moment on, I just knew this is what I want to do with my life. I want to teach the Word of God. I want to write courses. I want to write books. I want to, I want to empower people with the truths of God's kingdom. I know there, were, there was a, 
a coming alive to identity, purpose, and to the grace of God. And to that, from that day to this, there is a supernatural grace on my life to do this job. Like, honestly, like, I, I, I feel like it, there, it just flows. You know what I mean? Like, there's, a, there's an ability that's, like, beyond, I didn't go to school. You know what? I mean, there wasn't any, like, sort of formal kind of training around this. Or I didn't go to seminary, you know? I kind of just got it from the grace of God flowing in my life. And, and, you know, I'm not saying like it's all just bed of roses. There, there's work. There's the, you've got to put in the grind, but there's a grace. When I, when I open the Bible, there's a grace to see things. There's a grace to put words together. There's a grace to write things. There, there just is a grace to do it that is beyond my own self. And I give God all the glory for it. It's obviously Him. It's His power. It's His thing, you know, and flowing through me. And I really believe this. I really believe that every single one of us should have that. Every single one of us in this room should know our place, our role in the kingdom. We should know what our ministry is in the kingdom. What is the ministry that God has given to you? I really believe every single one of us were designed to flow in the grace of God. When you step into the courtroom, or when you step into the business boardroom, or when you step into a counseling session, or when you pull out your pen and you start to design buildings, or, or when you step in front of your computer and you start to code, there's got to be this like feeling of like, this is the grace I've got when I'm catching babies in Divu, <laughs> you know, like in the hospital, or uh, doctor, Nompomolelo. Well done this morning. You're amazing. You're so amazing. Um, I can just say Sibia, yeah? No, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, just the grace of God, like, you know, coaching her through the BFC and just hearing her heart for her patience and how much she cares and how she takes time with them and how actually God is working through her in the hospital and touching lives. That is the grace of God that's flowing. And I really believe we all meant to have that. You know, the Apostle Paul had that. He was like, I am called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach Christ where he is not known. That was the grace on his life. He just knew, that's me. I'm just, I go to places where he's not known. I go to the Gentiles. Peter and all of them, they hang out in Jerusalem. They do their thing. This is me. This is my grace. I know my fit in life. John the Baptist said the same thing. He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Messiah. I know who I am. I found my grace. I'm in the wilderness. Here I am. What do I need to do? Prepare the way for the Messiah. I don't really know the greater understanding of all of that. I don't know what really all of that's involved, but this is me. This is my calling in life. Eric Little, the man who broke the four-minute mile, um, he said, I know God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. There was a big debate, like, should I go into missions or should I do this for God or whatever? But he was like fast. He was a good athlete. And God used, he became a professional athlete, and God used him to break a, the four-minute mile, break something that hadn't been done before, and through his life in the sports arena, minister a gospel message to the world. Yeah. Whether it's acting, drama, science, what, whatever it is, there is a grace, I believe, there is a place, there is a ministry for you. And so 
until we have that, we are alive, but it's not alive in the sense that I've stepped into my purpose, my identity, and into the grace of God. And there's a big difference between the two. Do you understand that? Yeah. Let's just pray for a moment. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good, that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. So we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I want to whet your appetite for identity, purpose, and grace this morning. I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe you're not fully alive in your purpose and destiny yet. Maybe you're not alive. Yes, you hear. Yes, you know. But maybe there's something that still needs to kick in. Maybe you still need to step into that ministry that God's called you to. Step into that grace that He has for your life. There's nothing better than seeing people in their grace doing what God has called them to do. The first scripture I want to share this morning is Romans 12, verse 2. You know it very well. We don't even have to read it, but we will. It says, and do not be conformed. Come on, let's read it. Conformed to this world, but... Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, so that you can know God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. You know, from the moment you get born, the world is trying to shape you in a particular direction. Parents, siblings, school that you go to, your relatives, TV that you watch, the community you're in, the different things you go through, the world is trying to shape you into something. The world is trying to push you into a career or a path or something for your life. And Paul's saying in the scripture, by the Spirit of God, saying, be careful not to form into the pattern of this world. Be careful not to allow this world just to mold you in a particular direction without first going to your maker and allowing your maker to speak into you and get into the word of God and renew your mind. And as you renew your mind, you start to see who God is. You start to see who yourself is and you're transformed and you step into the calling that he has for your life. You know, I laugh, <laughs> Trish and I laugh at when, when she was like finishing school, she went and did one of these career tests. And um, you know, these career tests, like some of them are good, hey? like there's some really good ones. The Myers-Briggs one, I think is really cool. Um, but like back then, there weren't that many, all right? It wasn't long ago, but back then, they weren't as great. Yeah, I got to be careful of that. <laughs> they weren't that good. Anyway, so she just does this test. And you know what the outcome was, what her career is? Like they said, this is what you should do. Can you guess? Yes. Huh? <laughs> a, to be a secretary. They said that Trish, you were going to make a great secretary. That was the result of her test. And there's nothing wrong with being a secretary, okay? Like if that's the calling on your life, but that's not the calling on my wife's life. <laughs> that, you know, she is so much the leadership. She, you can do it and you'd be really good at it. But, 
But she, the leadership gift of my wife's life is incredible. I always say if she runs for mayor, she's got my vote. Like, I'm, I'm in her party, you know? Um, <laughs> she, she can lead. She can organize. There is also a compassion gift on her life and a deliverance ministry on her life. She's set so many people three free by the Spirit of God working through her life, through counseling and ministering to people. And just so there's, there, I want you to see that the world tries to put a label on you. It tries to shape you into something, but at the end of the day, who knows best? It's God. God is the one who releases destiny, identity, and purpose over our lives. When you look at Gideon, he said to the angel that appeared to him, I am the last born in my family, and I am the weakest tribe of Manasseh. Like, what can I actually do? What does that mean? That the world was trying to shape Gideon into an understanding. Like, there's nothing really significant about your life. There's nothing really important about your life. You can't really do much with your life. Last born, weakest clan. You know what? Take your grain, hide out in the wine press, tread it out there, just keep low, live a quiet life, do this grain thing story until an angel shows up and says, mighty man of valor, you're the one who's going to set Israel free. So, you know, this is the thing. It's like, don't be conformed to the, the lay. All of us have labels and things that are trying to conform us in a way, but we've got to allow God, we've got to renew our minds and allow God to speak purpose and identity into us. God is the one who comes with vision and tells us who we are and empowers us to be who we call to be. How does he do this? Well, he does it through dreams and visions. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, or sorry, 28 and 29, it says, It shall come to pass that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I'm still seeing visions. And also <laughs> on my men servants and maid servants will I pour out my spirit in those days. The Holy, ultimately, destiny and purpose is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to come and fall on a people. And when He does, we begin to prophesy. What does that mean? It means we begin to speak forth the will and the intentions of God. And it's not only like a verbal prophecy. You know, you can even prophesy over your own life. As the Spirit comes on you, He can say, Hey, Lita Kazi, I've called you to this. I've called you to go here. I've called you. It's like you begin to prophesy. You begin to know the mind and the will of God. And you begin to, it be, begins to flow out of you for others, but also for yourself. And then not only that, dreams and visions come. You start to see visions of your future, pictures of who God has called you to be. You get dreams about things. You know, I think of David Livingston who went to a talk by Robert Moffat, the explorer, and the, Robert Moffat said these words. He said, I've seen the smoke of a thousand villages burning in Africa who do not know Christ. David Livingston was a medical student at the time, conformed. You know, the world was conforming him. Do medicine. This is the calling on your life. This is where you go. Noble calling. Do medicine. Yes, you've got the skills. You've got the brains. You've got the family to get you in there. Go for it. Do it. But then he went to a talk. And the Holy Spirit began to move through Robert Moffat. And he began, to, and Robert Moffat just said those words. And David Livingston left that meeting that day with those words ringing in his head. A thousand, the smoke of a thousand villages without Christ. The smoke of a thousand villages without Christ. And something happened in him. Something was birthed in him. He began to see a vision of tribes and coming to Christ. He began to see visions of going to Africa. The Holy Spirit came upon him, moved in him. He was alive, 
but then he came alive. We're talking about the church coming alive this morning. He was alive. He was there. But he was coming alive to the purpose of God over his life. And it was through dreams and through visions. Another man, Charles Cowan, Cowan was in America and he was just a businessman and pursuing business and didn't want anything to do with Christ. When his wife got saved, he was very upset with her. He was like, what are, what are you inconveniencing? Well, this is not what we planned, you know? Business is where we're going. But then, long story short, he gets saved too. And then somebody comes from Japan and starts to share a little bit about what's going on in Japan. And from that moment onwards, the Holy Spirit comes upon him with dreams and visions of Japan. In Japan, he can't get Japan out of his heart. He can't get it out of his mind. He just knows Darling, we're selling everything. We're going to Japan. They go to Japan as missionaries. And while he's there, he starts Bible societies and training schools and starts training people in the gospel and preaching the gospel in those places. And while he's in Japan and while he's worked for many years, God then starts to sow another vision into his heart and says, what about putting a Bible and sharing the gospel, put a Bible in every person's hand in Japan? There was 58 million people in Japan at the time. That's, almost, that's as big as South Africa, right? Wow. Yeah, I just got that. Sorry, that was a while for me. 58 million people in Japan. What about putting a Bible in their hands and what about preaching the gospel to every single person in five years? A dream, a vision from the Lord, something burning in his heart, and they did it. They absolutely did it. He mobilized thousands of people. They knocked on every single door, and in five years... The entire, the gospel had reached the entire population of 58 million people in Japan. And who knows what God did with all of that, you know? But what, what was the origin of it? What, where did it, that come from? It was the Holy Spirit causing them to come alive to the purpose of God. I still remember all those years back in my flat as a bachelor praying for my life and my future and God started to burn on my heart a picture for the Westville campus and I saw a fire breaking I saw a vision of a fire breaking out there and I just knew we I'd never put that foot on the campus never been there before but I knew God was calling us there I knew there was going to be a revival there and so you know I started to engage and talk and make everything but we went there and we saw revival for many years Ayanda amen Amen. So, you know, like uh, the fruits of that revival, you know, like, and, and so like hundreds of people coming to Christ over all those years being sent out, Mac, all over the South Africa, you know, I'm still meeting them and seeing them in all these different places, leading municipalities, leading parastatals, all, all, where did it come from? It came from the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and the church coming alive to what God has called it to be. Evan Roberts had a vision while he was in Wales of 100,000 people coming to Christ. And in three years, they saw 100,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. What kind of dreams are we talking about? Dreams of the kingdom. Dreams of a farm. 
that's going to bring glory to God. Dreams of a business that's going to touch the ends of the earth. Dreams of a healing center that's going to touch. Dreams of a counseling ministry. Dreams of a ministry to prisoners. Dreams and visions of a ministry to kids, to the youth, or to students. There's so many ministries out there, people. Which one has your name on it? Which one is dormant within you? Which one needs to be activated by the Holy Spirit? I want to propose to you today that we in this room are an army. We in this room are an army filled with gifts, talents, callings. Most of the time it's latent. Most of the time it's there, but it hasn't yet been birthed or even released. And what is the thing that births it? What is the thing that releases it? But a move of the Holy Spirit. It's a move of the Holy Spirit that can come. And when it happens, not only to one person, but when it happens to every single one of us in this room, now we're talking about revival. That is revival. It's the church coming alive. It's the gifts, the talents that are in you, just birth, the visions that God has for your life coming to the fore. And so you're not just living for a job to have an income because this is stable, but it's the... It's the move of God. You're doing, you're, you found your fit. You found your place. Amen? Amen? Sometimes it's a stirring. It's dreams, it's visions. Sometimes it's just a stirring that happens within you. Like in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant. That was a revival. There was the stirring of the Spirit of God. There was this, the Spirit of God like a, you know, where you got a little flame and you come and you fan it into flame and it becomes a big fire. That's what happened there. That is a revival. The stirring of the Spirit. And this whole generation rose up to do something significant and build the house of God in their generation. You know, just recently, like Puma was here and she was, after one of the services, she was just like weeping. God was stirring in her heart a hunger for the lust and she's like I just have to go out and he's told me to go out every Thursday afternoon and that's what she does now she goes out every Thursday afternoon to the beachfront and prays for people and shares the gospel with people where did it start it started with a stirring in her heart as the Holy Spirit came upon her you know it's so many people in this church have like God has been stirring on you to lead Kid, I'm thinking about the bashes, just lead kids ministry or lead the youth. They just know they need to step in there or I know I need to step into worship. It, what is that? It's the stirring of God bringing you to the place where you need to be. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Does anyone know who Harriet Beecher Stowe is? A, an, an amazing woman who wrote an incredible book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I don't know if you know Uncle Tom's Cabin, but it's a significant book in history. Like one of the most significant books in all of history. Why? Because it was the book that actually in the, in the 19th century outsold every other book except the Bible. It was second to the Bible. In fact, they had printing presses running day and night just for that book. For an entire like 50-something years or whatever. The book went global. It, went, it carried an anointing on it, and it sparked the Civil War in America and to end slavery in America from that book. When Abraham Lincoln met uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, he said, oh, so you're the little woman who started this great war <laughs> from a book. 
But you know what I love about that story? Is that she was sitting in church. And this heavenly vision came upon her. And she saw a slave being beaten. She saw a slave being mistreated. And all of a sudden, the words started to flow. She rushed home. She grabbed a pen and paper, and she just began to write and write and write and write and write as heaven was downloading. She was just a heavenly vision. She was just writing words, words began to flow, flow, flow out of her, flow out of her. And eventually, she just looked at all the papers, and she was like, there it is. This is from heaven. And it was put into a book, and, that, and it had that sort of impact. I want you to understand that this is us. This is who we are called to be. We are called to receive heavenly visions and birth them into the world. I can't tell you how nice it was when I held my book in my hands for the first time. It felt like, yes, I was, you know, like I'm birthing something. Like, yes, I was carrying it in here and now it's out there. And I really believe every single one of us need to have that. We need to have that, like I'm carrying a heavenly vision. I'm carrying a heavenly purpose, a ministry within me, and then I'm birthing it into the natural realm and building it in whatever form it takes. This is the calling of the church. This is what we are called to. Sometimes it happens through dreams and visions. Sometimes it's a stirring. Sometimes it's a breaking of our hearts. Sometimes God breaks our heart for things. Nehemiah was broken when he heard the news of the walls that had been burned and broken in Israel. And he, he wept and he fasted for days. He was just broken. He had a nice, cushy job before the king as a cupbearer, but something broke inside of him. There was a breaking that came from heaven. There was a weeping that came from heaven. There was something that the Spirit of God came upon him and was like, I just can't keep doing what I'm doing here anymore. I know God has called me to something else. And he leaves and he's significant and he's a great leader who goes and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. He, he's, he was alive. Amen. But he came alive to the purpose and plan of God for his life. And we know him today as a great man of God. But I've heard so many people share about how God has broken them for orphans. Or there's a breaking in their heart when they see young entrepreneurs struggling. And they're just like, that's my place. I need to help. I need to empower. I need to release. When they see poverty, they're like, this is me. I was called for this. I was meant to be there and sort this thing out. When they hear about people who are broken or sick or whatever, there's something inside of them that breaks and they're like, this is my place. This is where I need to be. Moms, small kids, students, nations, God can even break your heart for a nation. We had that prophetic word last week about how in this house, God is going to start to break people's hearts for nations. I dream about the days that some of you will come up here and say, you know what, God has called me for Pakistan. God has called me for Myanmar. God, I, the people on my heart, they, I can see the land, I can see the people, and I know I need to go. I want you to know that we can train you, we can send you as a church. We can do that. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, man, anything is possible, yeah? We can go to nations. And sometimes it just takes one. The world is trying to conform us, but the Spirit of God is trying to release us into our plan and purpose. Saints, we live in a time where the church needs to come alive. I'm, you know, talking to different people at the moment just around, and I'm, and I'm getting a picture of the church, and I'm like, oh, we need the church to come alive. Man, we need the church to come alive. Those gifts, those talents within people need to come out 
And if that's going to happen, what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst us and cause us to come alive. You know, I'm very interested in when I was looking at different revivals. The Second Great Awakening was incredible. I'm going to wrap with this. Sorry we've gone on a bit long this morning. The Second Great Awakening was significant. Why? Because it resulted in a, an incredible transformation of society. It was a revival that wasn't just within the walls of the church, but led to the cities changing and culture changing and laws in the land even changing. Prior to that Great Awakening, the church was described as dead, lifeless, and cold. That there was just no life. And ministers reported the following. Here's an actual report from ministers in those days. This is what they said. A prevalence of vice and infidelity, profanity, mistreatment of slaves, sexual immorality, rampant alcoholism, avaricious land grabbing, coupled with declining church membership. That was the condition in their times. What I find amazing about that judgment or statement about their times is that they did not just judge themselves by their own community but by the standard of society in other words they didn't just look within the church to see how the church was doing oh Sandilis writing such good songs Pastors are writing books, Tabo's designing covers, Benina's baking muffins, people are getting baptized, we have nice services on a Sunday, we've got cool words up at the back. They weren't judging themselves by themselves. And all of that is important, let me say. We need to have serving, we need to have worship, we need to have baptisms and new members coming and we need all of that. But does that mean we are the church of Jesus Christ? Yes, that's part of it. But what about the city? What do I mean? Well, they judged themselves by the standard of godliness that they saw in society. I mean, just take a moment and, and, and look at those, those words and that quote. Vice means Criminal activities involving prostitution, pornography, and drugs. Infidelity means infidelity, unfaithfulness in marriage. We can also apply it to breaking contracts, agreements, partnerships in business, tax evasion, not being truthful in, in your life, okay? Being unfaithful what you in stewarding. Profanity is talking about blasphemy and swearing. Mistreatment of slaves, let's translate that into our times, not paying people what we should. Not looking after employees, just treating people like they are slaves. Sexual immorality. How much sexual immorality is in Durban? How much rampant alcoholism is in Durban? Avaricious means this, extreme greed for wealth or material gain. When it talks about avaricious land grabbing, it's just talking about this grabbing for wealth. This grabbing for things, this extreme greed. How much extreme greed have we seen? And then also they mentioned declining church membership. Why did they judge themselves by the standard of society? I mean, surely the church just needs to keep to itself? 
I mean, how can, how can we, you know, all we got to do is we should just be judging ourselves by what's happening here. I mean, how can, how can you put all of that bad stuff out there on us? Like, since when are we responsible for all of that? And that, my friends, is a misunderstanding of church and why we need revival in our times. Because we can be so happy with a nice Sunday service and good coffee afterwards and a nice connect group, but the city can go to hell. Something wrong. Something wrong. All of that out there is on us. It is on us. Why is it on us? Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill who cannot be hidden. A city? Yes, the church is meant to be a city within the city, alive with possibility and, and, and enterprise and connections and relationships and ability and power and strength. A city within the city that is transforming the city. You are the salt of the earth, he said. You are there to preserve the rot out there. We have to see, people, that our calling is not just for in these walls, but it's a calling to transform the world for Jesus. If we're happy with just what another Sunday service, it means we do not understand the purpose and role of church. And it means we haven't yet fully grasped what He's called us to do. And therefore, we're not asking for the Holy Spirit because we think we've got it all already. If the church is not out there transforming society, something is wrong with the church. Something is missing. What is missing? The Holy Spirit causing us to come alive to the plans, the purposes, the ministries, the giftings, that he has stored within each and every one of us. Amen. Amen. Can we stand to our feet? We live in a time where we need the church to come alive. Amen. Look at somebody and say, the church must come alive. I must come alive. I must come alive. In, pattern, in Scripture, we see a pattern, and it's this. The pattern is this. And we've seen it throughout history, but we see it typified in John chapter 2 when Jesus goes and does his first miracle at a wedding in Cana. At this wedding, they have wine and they're having a good party, but the wine runs out. And for a Jewish wedding, that's a disaster. <laughs> and in that moment, in that gap, there's this like, okay, it's just going to run out and you know, it won't be a great wedding. Mary steps in and she's like, she finds Jesus and she's like, Jesus, my boy. <laughs> my boy. <laughs> we need your help. And he says, it's not my time. And she's like, do whatever he tells you to do to the servants. In other words, you don't have a choice in this. And so Jesus does it. Hey? He does it listens to his mom amen men we listen to our moms amen <laughs> there's wine and it's a great party then there's no wine and there's this this intercession 
of Mary. There's this Mary stepping into the gap, calling on Jesus to deliver. And Jesus does something, even though it's out of season, he does it. And I believe, and then there's, then there's this amazing miracle, and there's new wine. And I think the church goes through these patterns of having wine, no wine, and then new wine. We see that throughout the ages, and I've experienced it myself, even within this church. There's wine, and then there's times where there's, hey, where's the wine? And then we press in, and there's a time for new wine. When there's no wine, we have to be aware. We have to be awake. We must realize that the wine has run out. People, if we're not seeing the church as the highest of the mountains in society, I want you to know there's no wine. If we've been relegated to the sidelines of relevance and impact, I want you to know there's no wine. We need to discern the times. We need to discern because if nobody realizes there's no wine and if nobody steps into the gap and begins to compel Jesus to give what he said he would give, we don't experience the new wine. And I think we're in an important time in history right now where wine has run out in many places. And I think... We need to look at our city and realize we need some wine. <laughs> we need not just every nation Durban, but we need every church in the city to come alive. To come alive. We need Christians catching visions of transformation, of heaven's agenda for our city, and going out there in the power of the Spirit and, and doing that for God. And if there's something in you that knows that, man, I need to come alive like that, then I'm going to sow the seed into your heart today and say, start to compel Jesus for new wine. And don't rest until you have it. If you're not in your fits, if you're not in the, the calling and identity and purpose, and you're not feeling the grace of God flowing for your life and where you're at, or you're not seeing it around you, I want to encourage you, join me and let's pray for new wine. Let's trust, let's compel Jesus to pour out His Spirit that in this city, we're going, to see, we're going to see what we see in the book of Acts. Amen? We're going to see hundreds of thousands coming to Christ. We're going to see this alcoholism problem stopped. We're going to see the prostitution thing sorted out. We're going to see our government transform. You know what? Our government can change if we pray. It can. It can be as corrupt as anything. I want you to know that if we pray, it'll change. Why? Because the authority... The authority rests with us. The power is in us. We are the city that's set on the hill. We are called to be the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Jesus. That as we yield our hearts to your word spoken today, your spirit would compel us to our knees. Yes, Lord. Your spirit will compel us to be in a place of yielded surrender, to hunger and to thirst for you, to pour out your rain and start first and foremost with us. Yes, God. And 
Father, I pray over every single person whose heart is beginning to awaken or beginning to burn for more of you. And Lord, I put a charge over them to go and spend 30 minutes alone with you today. 30 minutes set aside in their prayer closet with you to seek you, to be still before you, to meditate on what's been preached today and to allow your spirit to begin to usher in what you're wanting to usher in to each of our lives. For each of us are created to walk in your purpose and your intended destiny for our lives. We were born for such a time as this. Our lives count, our lives matter. And as we position ourselves on our knees, yielded before you, you begin to usher in the breath of life. Yes. You begin to awaken that which has been set aside or has died. And where there are just fresh sprouts that have begun to sprout up, you begin to pour out more water so that it grows and it flourishes with increase. Yes. Father, my charge over your house today is that we will go and take 30 minutes to be still in your presence, to wait upon you, to allow your spirit to breathe into us. Yes. And then we'll be diligent to capture it. We'll be diligent to speak to our family members and our connect group leaders and those who are in relationship with us and say, this is what God did in my heart. I want you to hold me accountable. And Father, I pray that as a community, we will take these 40 days of seeking you through revival reign and work methodically through it and not be on the outskirts, but be right there in the midst of what you're doing in us as a church community, as a spiritual family. And if that's the prayer of your heart, you can say yes and amen to the Lord. That's my charge to you. It's up to you to what you do with it. But I pray a blessing over you as you go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Yes. May he be gracious towards you. And may his peace flood your being. May you know that you are the head and not the tail. May you know that he is for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.